Did you play this special for Mason? I mean, well, now, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, funny story. I lay all my stuff in before I even get the rundown, but you know what? We'll go with that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Mason right. is worth it for that. Uh, all right. All right. Troy Coverdale, David G with you. Mason Voth from EMA Online joining us as well as we move into hour two. Hey, have you stopped uh, tweeting at Ryan O'Hearn already? No, I have not. Um, I know he deleted a tweet from earlier today, um, so I hope I played a small part in that. And, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's not Ryan O'Hearn's fault. Like, it's not his no. fault that he sucks at baseball and that the Royals keep paying him to suck at baseball. But, like, you kind of got to put up with it. Like, it's the nature of the job, and unfortunately, he's not a very good baseball player, and if he's going to continue to be on a Major League Baseball team, that I like, I'm going to continue to criticize the Royals. I'm not criticizing Ryan O'Hearn. I'm criticizing the Royals, and it's a very sad, sad day uh, for those that thought J.J. Piccolo might be a little bit different than Dayton Moore. Turns out the dude that learned under him for however many years is actually just the exact same as Dayton Moore. $1.4 million to avoid arbitration for those who had not heard the uh, price tag for a guy who batted two thirty six last year. What? What's so crazy about that, that if it had gone to arbitration, there is no way that the arbiter Mm-mm. would have sided with Ryan O'Hearn Mm-mm. for whatever dollar amount that he would have asked for. And that's the thing that blows my mind. I would have, if I'm the Royals, I'm like, yeah, try us. Let's see what happens here. The arbiter probably would have come back and said, dude, you're lucky you're not getting like a minor league contract here. This is bad. Please tell me that the tweet that he got rid of wasn't the one with Homer fading into the uh, into the brush, into the uh, shrubbery. I, I believe, sadly, it, it was. Darn it. The one that he deleted. That I, was a good tweet by him. I, I, I thought that was outstanding. Oh, boy. Anyway. Have a little humor about the situation, exactly. What's frightening is I can tell you who the first million-dollar player on the Royals was. And, well, let's just say that Ryan O'Hearn falls well short of George Brett. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, I don't know that he's... Uh, I guess the only thing those two guys have in common is that they both swing left hand. Yeah, that'd be about it. Yeah, that would be about it. All right, let's let's get to the matter at hand. We heard from Chris Kleiman earlier today, heard from some of the players as well. I think the first thing of note uh, for those who are just joining us, Adrian Martinez may or may not be done for the year. And Coach was pretty clear he doesn't think he's done for the year, but he's not going to be a go this weekend. Yeah, and I wonder how much of that is there's a lot of time left between now and when the season will officially end for K-State um, to say that you know he's not done for the year or whatever it may be. Um, but it cer- certainly seems like probably not going to see him at least for the next two games. Um, and, and I would just kind of doubt by his tone uh, that he would be around for a possible Big 12 championship. So, it, I mean, it's Will Howard's team now, and this is, you know, in some ways kind of the best way to go about it because – even if Adrian Martinez was good to go, uh, I think it would have been the wise move to start Will Howard in Morgantown and throughout the rest of the year and just let it ride out with the dude that could be your future. And as for, for whatever it is, like I don't know that Will Howard is more talented than Adrian Martinez at this point, but when he's in there, the offense is looking just a little bit different. It's got a little bit of a different hum to it, um, and it just makes sense to do it. So I think this is best for uh, Chris Kleiman, and he doesn't have to have 
an even more awkward conversation with Adrian Martinez about, hey, we appreciate what you did for us. We're moving on here. Um, and it just gets uh, Will Howard's clock started a little bit quicker, and it's good to know that all those guys seem to be okay with uh, the redshirt situation. It really, and to go back to your point about the, the offense humming, it, it seems like it becomes a bit more aggressive, almost as if there's a little bit different of a playbook out there for Will Howard. Yeah, I think what, what it kind of comes down to is teams are a lot more concerned about what the passing attack looks like. I mean, we saw that Adrian Martinez can throw the ball, but with Will Howard, it's like he can fling the ball. Um, and, and he can really strain a defense. And then also I think um, the other part of it, too, is Chris Feynman has made it clear, and you can see it by watching, that the, the offense seems to go a little bit more at a quicker pace when Will Howard's the quarterback. I think that's something you can do when your quarterback isn't running as much. Like, Adrian Martinez needs to catch his breath a little bit, and a lot of the stuff they're doing, if you're going, going, and going, it's a lot easier for the, the defense to stop the run when you're going hurry up because then you just start loading guys in there and you're not straining them as much. But when you have that downfield passing game, it adds this whole other element. So I just think there's something different to it. And I also look at it from the standpoint, um, I said this yesterday on something that Alec and I were doing with him online, but I think Will having Colin Klein as his offensive coordinator is a really good thing because if you think of what Colin Klein's path was, you know, he, he had some time at receiver, then he went back to quarterback, but he didn't really take up. I mean, we saw him against Texas in 2010, but he didn't do anything at quarterback until 2011. So he had to wait for however many years before he got that chance. I think he knows how to get through and how to kind of coach Will Howard up, probably better than what Courtney Messingham did. And I think that's probably something that hasn't been talked about enough. And I'd be interested, you know, at the end of the year to kind of uh, – ask any of those guys to see what the difference has been and how much of an impact that makes. But I think Will Howard has the right dude in his ear at this point in time, too. Well, and it gets to a point I even wanted to bring up, and not only do you have Colin Klein having been in that quarterback room for so long already, and Will with him in that room, but honestly, it's that reminder as well that Adrian Martinez, until transferring, wasn't a piece in this system. He's learning a new system still in some ways versus Will Howard having been schooled in this system for a number of years. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, you look at the, the situation, Will Howard comes in, he's got everything that could be out there for him in this offense. He knows at this point. Whereas I'm sure Adrian Martinez poured every last bit of time that he had into figuring this out and being at the speed, but He's only been here for, you know, not even a year. So it's tough to get to the point. He's probably still learning stuff every single day about this offense, whereas Will Howard's the guy that's been around and can have that recollection and say, okay, I've seen this West Virginia coaching staff do something like this before, so now I know how to attack it when we play him again on Saturday. Or even something where you get into a situation and you can say, all right, I remember this from 2020. And this is how we operated there. It didn't go the best. So you can have that conversation and understanding of how things are supposed to work. So I think we're seeing a lot of that come together. Like Will Howard has clearly gotten better from the physical standpoint since he got to K-State, even though he was already really gifted when he got here. The biggest step has clearly come in the mental department, and that's something that he's elevated to a brand-new level of, and that's really, I think, what's been the key for him this year. This afternoon at the – 
press availability, something that struck me also, and it's not a knock on Adrian in whatsoever of a way. Will's just a more more open guy in talking to everybody. Yeah, I mean, I think he's. I, I think you can tell there's a lot of personality there. Um, I don't know when when it'll be heard, but I think he probably produced one of the better Meet the Wildcats with Mitch uh, <laughs> for for the year. There was a lot of laughter and a lot of craziness that kind of went on during it. Yes, um, and I I also think that with everything he's been through, like he probably views it as there being no reason for him to, to hold anything in. Um, because like, this is kind of his time to, to, to stay and do what he wants. Like he's on top of the world. He's playing like it. Um, so he, he deserves to, to kind of go out there and, and be open about everything. And I, I, there's just something about it right now where things are working. Like I don't think Adrian Martinez was hurting this team. I don't think Chris Kleinman was wrong to start him against Texas. Um, but I think you'd be lying to yourself if you didn't say that there was a different feel with Will Howard at quarterback right now. I would agree with you there. Uh, the one loss that we do know of for sure, Kobe Savage, now on the back end of that defense, done for the rest of the year. That is one where a lot of adjustment is going to be made, but this team's kind of prepared for that adjustment through the year. Yeah, that was that was tough. That was one of those where, I think with about like three or four minutes left in the game on Saturday, I, I told Alec, I was like, hey, I'm going to go down there early so I can get everything set up for the press conference since there wasn't anything on the field to, to care about at that <laughs> point. And so since I got it all set up, I'm waiting there basically for the other media people to come. But it's in the tunnel that the K-State players head to their locker room in. And one of the, the first guys that I see walk through there is Kobe Savage. He's got a boot on, crutches. And then not too far behind him are his parents, and there with Joe Hall talking to him and everything. And that's when I kind of knew, like, this isn't very good. Flyman said, hey, we lost him for a while. Um, and, and that's a tough deal because he's been so important for K-State this year. Coming into this season, they the safety position was probably the most questioned spot on this team. And then all of a sudden, Josh Hayes and Kobe Savage made play after play, and those guys have been huge to this defense. Now, fortunately, Josh Hayes is going to be able to go, but you're going to have to try and find ways to, to kind of sneak guys around, get them into a different spot, and that'll be interesting to see. I mean, we, we saw Drake Cheatham make a, make a nice play on his pick uh, over the weekend. He was newcomer of the week in the conference, and he's done a lot of good things this year. But the concern then becomes if you, you have to shift Cheatham around and you trust him, do you trust the guy then that has to go in and take his spot? And then if you have to leave Cheatham where he's at and you trust the guy that goes to safety and all this stuff that goes on, um, it would seem like T.J. Smith is in line to, to take a really big step forward and the amount of action he sees. Uh, he got 30 snaps over the weekend against Baylor once uh, Savage went down, which was the, the most that he had seen all season. And he's an experienced dude, but Kobe Savage has proven to be much better in coverage uh, than what T.J. Smith has been. And it's not like Savage was even, you know, fantastic in coverage at times. But that's something to, to watch out for. Um, fortunately enough, though, for the West Virginia game, it seems like they're probably going to roll with Garrett Green, who's more of a runner. So the passing game may not be as much of a concern this week as it would be in others. A little bit of reaching on the part of West Virginia at this point, as we're talking with Mason Voth from EMA Online. 
trying to figure out just what they maybe do have for the future. JT Daniels has been their starter, but got pulled the other day against Oklahoma, and it became Green's team to lead uh, down the stretch. Yeah, they're going to be interesting to watch this week because it's actually two games in a row where Garrett Green finished the game for West Virginia since uh, once Iowa State had kind of put that game on ice. They threw uh, Green in there, and he led the team down the field and scored a touchdown. And then he came in and led them to, to beat Oklahoma. So it, we're going to see both of those guys regardless. I feel comfortable in that. But it also sounds like West Virginia may even throw one of their freshman quarterbacks out there, a class of 2022 kid, just to get a look at him at some point. So we may see three different quarterbacks from West Virginia this weekend, um, which the way that I view this is, it's kind of this play for the future and see what goes on. Um, although that's a weird thing to say because Neil Brown's probably not going to be around next season. Mm-hmm. Um, West Virginia just fired Shane Lyons yesterday, their athletic director. Typically, when football's not going well, this is Neil Brown's fourth year there. Uh, they're going to probably finish below 500, miss a bowl game. If the AD gets fired, the coach is probably next. But I, I think that there's a lot to, to kind of take in. Um, but I would assume Garrett Green is the guy we see most of the time. And I maybe other people feel this way like I do. It kind of gives me flashbacks to 2019. If you think about when West Virginia came to Manhattan, um, the Wildcats were still, I think, inside the top 25. They were having a good season. They come back. They were well. They were wearing the uh, white helmet and white pants, so that may have been the cause of the problems. <laughs> but another quarterback that had not played really at all that season, Jared Dagey, got the start uh, that week instead of who they had been rolling with the entirety of the season, and Daigie came to Manhattan and got the victory. So a little bit of flashbacks there to uh, Green and Daigie, who both, I believe, were the number six. So uh, maybe that gives people deja vu. Um, But I I think K-State should be fine this weekend. It's just going to probably take some time for them to find the rhythm uh, of which quarterback they're facing. I really don't know how to read this West Virginia team going into this game because of the fact they've got the win over Oklahoma last week, but yet they've got all of this upheaval surrounding them. You brought up the firing of the AD yesterday, and I heard some rumblings already yesterday that the reason that took place was because he wouldn't do anything about the coaching situation. So by by no means is, uh, is Brown's seat very comfortable at this point, and it feels like they're trying to figure out just something that may click. Yeah, I, I think that's what this is. I think Neil Brown probably views it as if he wins the final two games of the year, there's a chance that they get to stick around, they earn the next year, which is also probably a reason why we see less Daniels than Green and uh, the freshman quarterback that could get in there because – if you're going out there trying to find a way to win but also wanting to prove that you deserve a job for next season, um, probably the best way to go is is keeping those guys out there. And you mentioned West Virginia being tough to get kind of a read on. They're a fascinating team this year because they have been competitive in every single one of their home <laughs> conference games this season. I mean, they, they lost the, the conference opener at home to KU, but that was a game that went to overtime, um, had stuff going on with that. And then, other than that, they were they barely beat Baylor. They did knock Blake Shapen out of the game, but they beat Baylor at home. And then they were also able to keep it close with TCU, who until like a garbage time touchdown, like they had the game in control, and just for the heck of it, Sonny Dyke said, hey, let me cover, and 
uh, cost the, the West Virginia betters money. Right. That was a close game as well. They do the same thing. They beat Oklahoma by a field goal. So West Virginia has been competitive every single home game they've played in the league this year, whereas if you look at what they've done on the road this year, they lost by 17 at Iowa State, 38 at Texas Tech, and 18 at Texas. So they're a tough team to figure out what's going on, but Morgantown continues to prove that it's a really tough place to play, and West Virginia is very comfortable there. So I, I wouldn't be too surprised if this game is tight going into the fourth quarter. What do you got on EMA Online that we should look for this week in the lead-up? Uh, a lot of good things coming up. It's a, a great place for anybody that's wanting to kind of get an idea of what's going to happen in matchups with football and basketball. So we'll have the basketball preview out on Thursday. Also, every Thursday before a, a football game, we have our Know the Opponents. So we talk to um, a handful of different rivals publishers uh, throughout our system and network that cover the other teams. So we'll talk to Keenan Cummings from uh, WVSports.com later this week. And then uh, tomorrow night slash Thursday morning uh, is when you can find Wildcat Weekly with Deuce Vaughn. We get to sit down with Deuce 15 to 20 minutes every week, pick his brain about football, other stuff going on, life as a K-State student. Um, so, so plenty of good things that come out of that. And a lot of other things that, that pop up from time to time since it's a pretty exciting time to be at K-State right now. Mason, appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. I appreciate it. Love coming on with you guys on KMAN. Mason Voth, EMA Online is the site, and uh, he again joins us each week as part of the game here on News Radio KMAN. I know it may be a little early. Maybe we'll figure out something here for the upcoming segment. Yeah. Not not completely take out all of my song of the day, but it is an interesting one when you dig into some things about it. Nice. That is coming up, and yet only peaked at number two. Oh. Because, you know, I have that requirement that that I have to meet. We're back with more on the game next. I know. Uh, Just sit here just letting it jam for a minute. Okay, I'll turn it back up then. You know, back when Bon Jovi could actually sing. (laughs) Give him a break. He's like 70. I mean, come on. He shouldn't have done that tour, all right? Is he, wait, is he still touring? I don't know. I kind of lost interest in Bon Jovi tours after I saw him in Topeka in 89. Ah. I mean,. Come on, you know what? That was that yeah, was. Have you at seen the, any of the clips from like his like recently no, like from this year? And no, it's bad. No, it's I'm, real I'm sure. Bad. Uh, I'm I'm not like all he, that he dramatically can't hit surprised. A note. He's basically yeah. doing like spoken word. It's all over the place, and everything's like transposed, like way down. It's not good. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, if that's still good, I'm there. Listen, I I expect some of that with Billy Joel. The gentleman is seventy some odd years old. And trying to doo-wop like he did in the 80s just isn't going to fly anymore. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He allows others to sing uh, that high note Uh uh, nowadays instead of wailing on it himself. Troy Coverdale, David G., Stephen Schaefer with you. As the game continues, well, okay, yeah, so Bon Jovi is Bon Jovi. (laughs) I I did see them, by the way, in Topeka. That uh, That was interesting. Where at? 
Topeka, the uh, Expo Center. Expo Center. But see, you were at the peak of, in fact, they were just releasing New Jersey. So um, the the follow-up to... Slippery when wet, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, the major release. And right. So and, New Jersey didn't do so hot. Uh, it wasn't horrendous. Ah. It, it did okay, but it definitely didn't match what Slippery When Wet did. You had, I think you had four singles maybe off off of uh, New Jersey and the highly offensive t-shirt that went with it. I mean. That had kids buying, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Still a good album, though. <laughs> still a solid album, I yes. mean, By I, the way, I pulled up a clip. Would you like to hear how bad this is? Okay, sure. a lot of like that that shaky voice stuff yep and that's all it is that ain't that bad no it gets worse let me fast forward hold on it's not even in the same key anymore yeah yeah That sounded horrible. <laughs> there you go. I just think if you're gonna go like, um, if you're gonna go see Bon Jovi, and you're like, I expect that guy to be crystal clear. I, you're no, you're like, just like you know, a lot hey. of people expected it to not be like a hundred percent because yeah, he is older, He's an older man, and we all know he wasn't singing quite properly. Like we all knew that, but like it, New Jersey, all of them like that. Five singles, Bad Medicine, Born to Be My Baby, I'll Be There for You, Lay Your Hands on Me, and Living in Sin. <laughs> uh, Born to Be My Baby was probably the most solid of the tracks. Yeah. Uh, the, I'll be there for yeah, you. Yeah. Man, those guys are corny. God dang it. But I'll tell you what. You watch a Young Guns or Young Guns 2, you get fired up, and you go, I'm wanted. I'm Wanted dead or alive. <laughs> okay, I'll ride a steel horse around town. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. okay all I'm right, really yeah. cool. Brother. On that note, we're going to come back with someone whose vocals are stellar. They just remain stellar. Unfortunately, he's no longer with us, <laughs> but the man's vocals were always on point. Song of the day coming up as the game continues. I hear something saying That's the sound of the men Working on the chain Gang That's the sound of the men Working on the chain Steven's not so sold here on number two. I vibe with it. Okay. It's a mellow vibe. Sam Cooke is always going to be on the list, man. I mean, I'm not complaining. I had a a choice today. Sam Cooke or a Ray Charles tune? Mm. I went with Sam. I'll go Ray next time. Yeah. Okay. See, this is something I wouldn't like go out of my way to listen to, but if somebody just had it on, I'm not gonna, you know, like be like, oh, I'll turn that off. Like it's a vibe. 
that's a matter of me knowing my Motownish tied songs from the 60s versus you who just know the 60s as a bygone era. I mean, yes, it was before I was born, but I grew up with some of this. Oh, don't you know? Sam Cooke, by all rights, his second biggest American hit. Yes, it peaked at number two. Behind Connie Francis, My Heart Has a Mind of Its Own for one week, and then Mr. Custer by Larry Verne. I'm not sure how. Yeah, what the heck? Larry Custer? Who? His first single released after he left what was known as Keen Records in 1959. And it was his first top 10 since 1957, where his all-time biggest hit, You Send Me, had peaked. Thus his second biggest pop single. But there is an actual, for, for as much of a vibe as there is to this, Stephen, there is a story behind it. It happened that on tour, Cook's bus was pulled over and he and his band came upon an actual chain gang. According to Sam Cook's Live at the Harlem Square Club, 1963, written by Colin Fleming and released last September, after his first two LPs for King back in the 50s, every Cook album essentially became a concept album. And Cook felt that after seeing the actual chain gang, that taking a few minutes to speak to them left him with the memory of them shackled to each other like the men at the oars in the slave ships, only now upright. He would later become really one of the voices of the civil rights movement. Of course, the posthumous a change is going to come after he was shot to death in 1964. I still need to go back and watch A Night in Miami, which is the play that was put over to movie last year, geez, two years ago now, but was Sam Cooke, Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X centered? Because there, there's a lot of controversy behind exactly what happened, right? Or is it pretty cut and dry? Oh, his his murder in 64? Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of controversy yeah. behind that. Yeah, there is. Um, but the one night in Miami was Muhammad Ali specifically and Malcolm X helping push Sam Cooke to be more active, if you will, in the civil rights movement. They felt that he was a voice that they needed in that movement, especially as someone who was as established as he was as an artist. Before he became a solo artist, Cook had been with one of the top gospel groups in the country at the time known as the Soul Stirrers in the 40s and 50s. And so parlaying that into his career, people knew his voice. People knew him as a pop act 
which allowed for, as someone put it, uh, allowed him to Trojan horse, if you will, (laughs) some topics such as a chain gang into a song and have it be a pop feel. Right. Hey, guys. By the way, uh, this is terrible. We shouldn't do this to people. Right. On to the next one. Right. Oh. So imagine having Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali show up and like, hey, man, you want to help us out? What are you going to? I mean, you have to say yes. That that is why (laughs) I need to watch the movie. Um, Regina. hmm. I'm trying to remember the actress slash director who put that together. Of course, it's late in the afternoon, and I'm trying to do that. Uh, is it Regina King? Thank you. Yes. She's such a good actress. Well, she knocked it out of the park from everything I hear about the movie, and I need yeah. to sit down and watch them. Anyway, um, so you brought up the controversy regarding Sam Cooke's death. December 11th, 1964, he burst into the main office at the Hacienda Motel in El Segundo, outside of L.A., wearing nothing but a jacket and one shoe. He demanded the hotel manager tell him where the young woman that he had arrived at the hotel with had gone. The shouting turned into a physical altercation. Bertha Franklin, the motel manager, pulled a gun and fired three shots. At least that's the story that she told the LAPD. The shooting has been ruled a justifiable justifiable homicide. But those who were closest to him have questioned that for a number of reasons. Um, Back to Muhammad Ali, for example. Um, He and Etta James were shocked at the open casket funeral in Chicago that the cook's body was badly beaten. James didn't see how Franklin could have caused such injuries just with the gunshots. And so there's that question that remains. Um, Evidence showed that Cook's blood alcohol level at the time of the incident was .16. His credit cards were gone. He had had over or had over $100 in cash in his sports jacket, leading police to conclude that Cook hadn't faced a robbery attempt. But years later, the young lady that he had been with uh, was arrested for prostitution. Oh, in fact, a month later. And in, in 1979, she was found guilty of the second-degree murder of her ex-boyfriend which has people questioning whether Elisa Boyer had attempted to rob Cook and it went horribly awry. Mm. So yes, plenty of questions remain about the man's death. I'm sorry, with each sentence, that story got wilder. Yeah, man. Yes, Exactly. Slow down. No. I was like, no. no. And you think it's over. Here's another heaping helping of Oof. confusion. Hey, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, I love Sam Cook. Oh yeah, I, uh, I actually, uh, one that shot him. What? Oh my God. You think you know somebody? <laughs> to take it back to 
this being his second biggest hit, he was reportedly unsatisfied at the initial recording and came back three months later to redo some of the vocals to get the effects he wanted. And I'll admit, by the way, I miss the orchestration of old pop music. Yeah, it sounds good. That goes with soul music of the era. That's part of what made it so good. Mm-hmm. The strings and mm-hmm. things. We've lost that. Yeah, Honestly, though, this type of music should exist more today because we have much more of the modern tech to like do all these things that they were wanting to do back then. Because doing like these huge vocal arrangement parts back then, they would have to do it on a separate reel-to-reel tape, mm-hmm. mix it down, then record it into the master tape. Yep. So like, it was always a lot of back and forth. And you nowadays, want, yeah. you got the computer. You can make something like this sound a million times better. Instead, we use the computer to bastardize it and turn it into auto-tune. Yeah, I was just going to say. <laughs> Sam Cook's like, yeah, throw that auto-tune on there, baby. No. <laughs> Good point, Big Steve. No, it's a perfectly valid point. Yeah. But uh, I think, unfortunately, we are lost out of that yeah. era. Mm, so I know what I'm doing when I go home to my home studio now. I'm going to make Playing some, some Sam smooth Cook. Uh, Sam <laughs> Cook type music, all right? Don't do it. <laughs> don't, don't. Don't you dare. I've got a bad feeling it's going to sound like Bon Jovi. I am just, uh, <laughs> wow, okay. This is Bon Jovi singing the Sam Cook's greatest hits. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Oh. Ask us anything when we continue. Thirteen fifty KMAN. That's what. That's this station. That would be correct. Yes. Hmm. Could have fooled me. No. This is we're bring, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> we're bringing to the real stuff. Hey, what is something? Uh, what made you realize you're not young anymore? Uh, for me and my wife, we bought a minivan. And now I find myself defending said purchase of minivan. I go, oh, there's a plenty of room. It's great on gas. You can get in and out. Of the, you get it in the parking lot. You get the kids out real quick. And I'm like, I am ancient. I, I'm just. I can hear the casket door creaking. I'm closed. a huge supporter of minivans. They're, They're amazing for hauling all sorts of things around. Well, the, and, but you have a lot of equipment. And yes. Stuff. Yeah. They're perfect for that. Yeah. Back in the day, I'd have been like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> minivan. Just remember, SUVs are the minivan just blown up yeah i yeah. know i know I, it, but so uh, can't do it. for yeah, me getting older it's been the every time the temp does a hard swing <laughs> my nose sinuses yeah. all that yeah in shambles just wait till not you mow even the, sick yeah just, just wait till you mow the lawn up. you mow the lawn and you get like stuffy thankfully like, that hasn't apart that hasn't started happening my Dude. wife is allergic to like fresh grass clippings but i'm not yet Hopefully it won't be. But like this stuff, I, I don't know if you can tell. I'm clogged up right now and I hate it. Yeah. Uh, pardon me. I'm going to polish my head here. <laughs> so, uh, it's okay. Part- give now, me like yeah. 10 years. I'll be right there yeah, with you. I'm uh-huh. already, so, I've already got that little uh, widow's peak you going on. All right. right on. <laughs> um, yesterday we asked for asking Kay Roger. What was a phrase that uh, your parents or legal guardians uh, oh, what did you always hear from them? For me, of course, oh, it was boy. quiet. David, please be quiet. <laughs> be quiet. Be quiet. Over and over and over. I just couldn't get it. 
I am not allowed to say what my dad would say to me a lot uh, here uh, on the air without facing possibly $10,000 in fines right. or yeah. more from the FCC. <laughs> yeah, the so, FCC yeah. won't let me be. Or let me be me, so <laughs> let me see. Uh, <laughs> yikes. <laughs> <laughs> Stemming him. I, right. I, okay. anyway. I live for it. I live for it. Uh, really, that that's a great question because I don't think of anything right off the top of my head. Probably another way that you can tell that I'm getting old. Um, it's okay. My short-term memory is garbage too. Yeah, I'm still technically young. So. Well, I would put it. I would put it more what my brother would hear. Turn that down. Oh, he was a he was a music cranker. Uh, let's put it this way. And Monica and I were discussing this the other night. At the old farmhouse, um, we moved to the basement just in time for me to go into high school. The placement, however, of that bedroom was right beneath my parents' bedroom. Oh, no. Oh, no. My brother... Sorry, Troy. ...in high school bought himself a rack system that he still has to this day. Right on. Okay. But the speakers were, oh, I mean, the whole thing was just overly large for the space. Right. And again, right beneath the parents' bedroom. <laughs> and kid liked to pull all-nighters. Yeah, baby. Awesome. In high school, liked to pull all-nighters. <laughs> uh-huh. That, that went well. for you, Mom and Dad. <laughs> um, hey. Aerosmith. Oh, nice. One more. Uh, let's real quick tonight's uh, big big biggies, uh, Kentucky Michigan State. Who you got and uh, Duke KU? I'm going to go with Michigan State. Yeah. Uh, I think that they find a way to control Sheboy and KU playing without their head coach. Oh, Duke yeah. playing without their head coach. In all honesty, ah! um, I still say that that's probably a Kansas win. I don't think that John Shire is going to be able to match wits with Bill Self. Just a ah, thought. Nah. Just a thought. I'm the same way. Uh, Michigan State, Duke, or KU. KU, Michigan State, KU. God, I hate picking the jails. <laughs> Back at it tomorrow. DY, I believe, will be with us tomorrow when we'll get a preview of AEW, I'm sure, as well. <laughs> <laughs> Go Cats. Go Cats.